Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. This is the EF Education Easy Post. Let me check if their name changes next year. It doesn't, apparently. So that's... Uh, a team well, that usually changes. Well, not yet. Not yet. EF announces it the last day anyway, so we don't yeah. know yet. <laughs> okay, so that's the team's name for next year for now. We'll do the 2022 season review. They obviously had the relegation battle, which was kind of unique for them in their team history to contend with this season or the previous three seasons, if you anyone was listening. Uh, and then we'll preview or look at their transfers, and a fair few actually, quite big names compared to some other teams. And then their 2023 aims, goals, what this team should be targeting. Because in 2022, they had their lowest number of World Tour wins since 2018, I think, where they only had two in the Vuelta. They had three World Tour wins this year, a team that doesn't really typically go to many non-World Tour races. They focus on World Tour wins and so, yeah, but that being said, Tour de France, I would say, has to be a success with court the three days in uh, polka dots. The Dane in Denmark has to be a lot of sponsor exposure, and then he won that stage ahead of Nick Schultz, breaking my heart. So <laughs> how would you evaluate their season, Benji, particularly when they were fighting the war on two fronts with the relegation battle for survival, because this team, if they got relegated, they were stuffed, plus still needing to do right by their sponsors, you know, with exposure and big races. I feel like there's two perspectives to look at it. Like, on the one perspective, they survived relegation battle, which is good. They had decent results in the Tour de France and so forth, like you mentioned. But on the other end, should they have been in the relegation battle in the first place? And... Was that part of their 2022 season that led them there? And next to that, where were they in cobble races? Where were they in most of the hill classics, except for Paulus, to be honest? And when it comes to the, the Vuelta, are they happy with just a nine spot from Uran? And those questions arrive. Same for Giro with a nine spot for Hugh Carthy. So I feel like when I look at the season, the cobble classics, when I look at the steam, I don't expect overly much. Like, Betiol had that one year where he won Ronde van Vlaanderen, but the replicability of that event was almost zero for me the day it happened already. So it's not a surprise that he can't keep this up every single year and that he's not competitive in every single Cobble Classic. The Hill Classics, I feel like the issue with Paulus as well is, like, he has a decent kick, but he doesn't have the kick that other riders do in the group that is left over in LBL in the second group, for example. So he has to have it also from riding away with a limited amount of riders, and that did not occur in that race. And as a consequence, you're getting eighth in the second group. So on paper, you're like together in the group with like third and second place and so forth. But it's not enough, I think, for this team. I expect them to be a tiny bit better in those races. When it comes to one-week races, I do believe that they did relatively okay, getting top tens in three races, three World Tour races. But Two top tens in one, as in 10th in Itzulia for Duran, 7th and 9th in the Dauphine with Chavez and Guerrero, and then eventually Paolo's getting 4th in Swiss, which was a really good result, I'd argue. But then again, half of the people that rode Swiss were out of Swiss by the time the race finished. So I don't know how high he would have finished if those people didn't have COVID. But yeah, I think the Tour de France made up a bit for the rest of the season, but I don't think it's enough. I think Hugh Carthy disappointed. I think... Uran did what he could, I guess. He won that Vuelta stage. He did? I forgot about that one. You're right. Didn't he? He did. You're right. He had of Pacher? Pacher, yeah, I know. I'd picked Harada seven days in a row. and you, <laughs> No, uh, Pacher. And I think you went with Solero. It was a, that was a great battle, actually, that up yeah. in the finish. Um, I, um, he, but then again, he's... 
like, did we expect any more from a run? He's getting older. Like, yeah. I didn't expect him to win Swiss again. That's for sure. That's true. That's true. That's true. And like a rider like Guerrero stepped up, but I wasn't. Well, to be honest, like Guerrero crashed early on in the Tour de France. If he doesn't crash there, I do think he's competing for a KOM jersey or for a stage win somewhere in the top Tour de 10. France. So he would come top ten easily. Potentially, I believe you there. Um, so yeah, can we blame them for that aspect? I don't know. It's kind of like we'll we'll talk about it in our bike exchange preview as well in the coming episodes. But they also had bad luck on ends. Do you feel like EF had more bad luck in that sense than other teams, or is that just across the board? I seem to... Okay, their spring and early part of the season, didn't they have... There's a lot of COVID, team wrecked by COVID. From memory, yeah. they were hit hard by it. Um, now, EF, it seems to me, start pretty slow every year, though. Now, I don't know. It's same with DSM last year. I don't know whether it's the timing of their training camps, but... They won the UA Tour TT with Bissiger in February and then two stages of Gran Camino, which is a two-to-one race, you know, court was sprinting against, yeah, like Galician Farmer. Um, so that's fine in February. And then there's a four-month gap between the next win. So uh, March, April, May, complete write-off. Can you put that all down to a bit of sickness and bad luck? Maybe partially, but I think also there's something there with the way they're scheduling programming. And to me, it seems to have the same thing. If I just check 2021 quickly, yeah, they don't win much before June. Um, the same thing happened last year. So that's an issue. And again, we've done the quick steps, the UAE, Ineos, Yum, haven't done Yumba yet. We've done the big budget teams, and all quick steps aren't so big. But now we're down with EF and, and Bike Exchange and, you know, people say, well, don't hold them to, you can't hold them to the same standard in terms of results. Absolutely true. You know, you can't expect them to win 15 yeah. World Tour races with two monuments and a grand, two Grand Tour podiums. Can't expect it. But, but can they do things, can they still improve? Are there still obvious flaws? Yeah, I think so. And when you see like, the problem with the relegation battle is you survive it, but it comes at a cost because you've had to spend so many resources, energy, riders in peak condition going to these races you deemed, you know, unworthy races in in as early as January, February. And when you react too late, it stuffs the, the races you really want to be going to. Um, whereas if you had progressively done it, then powerless maybe he wins two more world tour races instead of you know having to go to i mean maryland classic they probably would have gone to anyway it's in the u.s but you know what i mean um the guy who won san sebastian last year so yeah. that's the cost of the relegation battle and i think so the first half something went wrong some of it outside of their control second half fighting the relegation battle um, but before we get into maybe some of the bright spots of the team, because some riders, this always there's riders that show flashes on this yeah. team. Um, we'll talk about Swift with the the reed rice itself at the moment. It's just literally snowed outside my door. No, outside my door. It snowed in the entirety of my suburb last night. Woke up to it. Toby's very happy, and it's like there's those two Indian brothers on TikTok. It's in Australia. You wouldn't have seen it, Benji, but it's like you have two options. You can walk outside, slip on some ice, break your neck. Not going to do that. Secondly, get jacked on Zwift uh, inside in the safety. Plus, open the window. It's freezing. It's like it's the best time to Zwift, actually. But you had your video go up, I think, that last yesterday or the day before, Benji, your second episode in the uh, your Zwift series. Yeah. Basically, um, a week ago, Swift challenged me to become the sports director of six amateur cyclists and deliver them to glory in this racing event that happens on Swift, the Swift Racing League. The beauty of Swift races is that it is for every level. So I could literally go write Swift races, and I might do so in the near future. Who knows? But when it comes to this series, in the first episode, we took on our first race. That's on YouTube already on the Benji Nassin channel. And yesterday, on Sunday, yesterday as of recording this, so... On Sunday, the um, 
the second episode, which was a team time trial went up as well. And the in-depth calculations that I had to do to count how hard someone has to ride at the front of a group, how long their turns need to take. I've become a mad genius that episode, mate. Like, it's really in-depth. I didn't anticipate that. <laughs> yeah, I saw the spreadsheet. I was like, <laughs> this is pretty, yeah. I was like, this is overkill, but <laughs> good, good, like it's crazy and no wonder they're doing better. Um, but yeah, if you want to check out Zwift yourself, go and check out Benji's video. But if you want to check out Zwift with winter being here, you can go to Zwift.com and get a nice free trial to check it out as well. Uh, I said flashes, Benji. There's a lot of t- riders on this team who didn't show any, uh, like... I don't know. There's some older riders who've been on the team for a while, like Camargo. You might not House, be that old. Howes, I think he was off the team, kicked off, not kicked off the team, but he had to make space, him and Lockie Morton, for Andre Piccolo. Um, there's Owen Duell didn't really do very much, but there's flashes. Ben Healy, you know, but in breaks, doesn't really go anywhere. Padun in the Vuelta would have won a stage. He was on a good level, but. It was a very short period of time. Bissiger, uh, UAE, and then bad luck crashes or not the same level. Chavez, flashes of form in Mont Ventoux and Dauphiné, and then not too much to show for it. So, yeah, that's kind of always with their riders, Benji. They'll have like like Volgren last year, before six weeks after doing nothing, just absolutely flying. I think that must be a programming or training thing. It has to be. I'm guessing so as well. And I also think about Magnus Kortelod when I think about these things because he's so specific in ways where he can be great in one Grand Tour where he just rides everybody away in breakaways and in other kind of stages. And then in another Grand Tour, he can just be there on like the, the third row, not doing much throughout the race. And you're like, come on. Like like that meme where they, you got the stick and you're like, come on, Magnus, do something. Like that that kind of stuff. Like it's weird. And like Magnus Court, the rider type as well, you kind of expect that rider to be good at one-day races as well, but he's really not. Like he's not there in one-day races. So that's also an aspect where I'm like, is that something that could be bettered when he was on a different team? Could a different team lead him to those races and make him better in those races? Who knows? But I agree. And Guerrero is even a rider where he had great flashes this year, as in he had that transition from being a breakaway guy to being a GC guy basically throughout the year. And I don't know if that was because of the fact that he needed UCI points in one week races or because he just wanted to transition in that in the first place. But there was some, certainly something there. So I don't know. I think the best transfer, oh, this is a transfer that happened during the 2022 season. That's why I'm talking about it already. Andrea Piccolo, like, He's underrated, and the fact that EF's one of the only teams, if not the only team that noticed him and took him up, that's a big one, I think, because during the Italian Classics, I'd argue that we didn't see him every single day, but we saw him in the latter part of the season quite a lot, and he was competitive in quite a few races, and even in that Maryland Classic, for example, where EF completely bottled the final, he was there, he was strong, he was with the best riders, and I think he's one of those riders where... He had very, very shitty history, as in he started off on Kolpak, which is a great place to start off as an Italian youngster, an Italian youngster team, I think, either U23 dev team or Continental, I think it's Continental. Then he moved to Astana, where he had some issues towards the end of his uh, period at Astana. It's unknown what the issues were. Some people say health issues. I've heard some different kind of rumors that I'm not going to go into. But eventually, that led to him not being at Astana anymore. Eventually, Gazprom picked him up. But then the war in in Ukraine caused Gazprom to be obliterated. And as a consequence, he was out of a job once again. And then Dronehopper started picking him up. And then probably Johnny Savio made a few bucks of EF being interested in, in Andrea Piccolo. Because he ended up at EF throughout the season. And what what a roller coaster, man. What a roller coaster for this guy. <laughs> Actually, complete. If you ever think, oh, what are these two guys? What are you know? What do they know? What do they think they're talking about? Remember that this was the most obvious thing ever. Like this guy clearly had talent. He was clearly, particularly in the context of a relegation battle. Even if you don't think he's special, 
This guy yeah. could pr- prove that he can top 10 consistently, dot pro profitable races, and no one picked him up. <laughs> like what? <laughs> and so credit to EF for doing it. You know where he finished in the UCI ranking? In the top 100. He was their second top point scorer. <laughs> Ahead of Uran, Guerrero, Betio, Chavez, Court. He scored 730 points. Now, I don't know if they were all for EF. Um, I don't think they were, but a significant portion of them were. Um, so, yeah. like, unbelie- unbelievable. And he's still not many people really noticed because it was at the back end of the season. So don't be surprised if he's, I don't know. At Lombardia. That's pretty fucking great. He could top five Amstel. Yeah. Like if Alexander Camp top five, why can't Andrea Piccolo next year? I we even podium it. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. So he was a great pickup. Um, he is signed. They they put him on two and a half years too. Um, so they've got him till the end of twenty four, which is good for them. Anyway, the other transfers is Guerrero is the big one leaving. I think them not matching Movistar is smart. Actually, I think mm-hmm. EF with their small budget really can't afford to put. 750 a million who knows into a rider who might not really be that special good rider yeah but is he going to move the needle for you they've proven they can get grand tour stage wins out of riders on much less money uh not this year but in previous years so i think they did the right thing not matching him based on my expectations like where what would his Role have been on EF Benji, just a Miss GC rider. Ah, uh, depends. Yeah, I think, I think a combination of what he did in 2022, where he is top 10 World Tour GCs, but also trying to hunt for Grand Tour stage wins because he didn't have that Tour de France stage win yet because he was basically on the floor in the first few stages of the Tour de France 2022. But I do think that he can get that relatively doable because he's got that kick you know he's not the slow sprinter at the end of a, a mountain either so he can have that kick he can compete at the end of a mountain and there's actually quite a few riders on EF like Sean Quinn for example we haven't spoken about that youngster but he's also that kind of type where he can climb and then he can sprint at the end of a mountain but still young and can do something but anyway we were talking about Ruben Guerrero um well if he's 750k then I, I agree they shouldn't they shouldn't do the same they shouldn't offer 750k for Ruben Guerrero like He's That's right at that. I, w- I wouldn't pay more than 500k for this guy. Yeah, I think so. I think 500k is, you know, is good. But yeah, I think he's on much more than that, uh, personally, uh, if I had to guess. So good for him. Um, I think that's smart. Volgren, he's had a, he had a serious injury, so he goes down to the dev team. That puts space. Hideto. And Akani retires, Morton and House, I think, are going to ride in EF kit but won't be on the World Tour team. I don't know why. Why did they take up a roster spot with Morton Benji? I don't know. Maybe because, because like, they didn't have the budget to sign anyone else anyway. But say you, you're going to agree with him, the contract he has, which is based on, I remember Waters discussing this, you know, think KPIs and bonuses based on like exposure and social media stuff, you know, thing outside the box, that's fine. Um, but within the confines of the UCI model, model contract, that I think was quite difficult or made it more difficult. So what's if he's not going to race in those races, what's the point? Can't you like just put him on the dev team occasionally if he yeah. wants to actually race a road race, which – he did Grand Camino. I, I didn't really understand what the point of him being on the World Tour team was. Like, can't you just pretend he's on the EF family team anyway? Yeah, I think so as well. He's kind of like an influencer for them, eh? Mainly because it's his marketing and his brand that does it. But I'd argue that maybe I'm being harsh, but in 2022, I didn't hear about Lachlan Morton any day. Like, no, the year before. This thing, right, eh? He did the Ukraine ride this year, raised a lot oh, okay. of money. My bad. Didn't follow I it. Think. But no, I anyway, agree. It's, it's not like yeah. when he did the um, was it last year he did the Tour de France? Yeah, the old yeah. tour that got yeah. a lot of press. Exactly, a lot more press. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Howes, I think he's gone. 
And the other one is, yeah, Arayave is not extended. I doubt they will. Incoming, the surprise was Honore for, yeah, like, do you reckon, I don't reckon, I don't, I don't reckon they had to buy him out. I reckon it was just quick step, let him go. I think it was indeed quick step, letting them go. Perhaps a mutual agreement that they were fine with him leaving at quick step because they didn't want to go through the, through the mess of having that buyout procedure and also next to that, try the mess of having a rider that doesn't want to be on the team on the team, perhaps, because maybe he wanted to go for other opportunities. And I don't know. I still don't see why he left because he would have had a cobble spot on quick step and you have more chance of winning stuff in a cobble squad at quick step than you do at EF, even if you're sole leader, for example. So I don't get at all why he did it, but if EF can get him, I think it's logical because Mikkel Valgren is the kind of rider where he was prominent in the past, but not that much recently. And now his spell was a knee injury that brought him to the dev team. I think Honore is a good young replacement for Valgren. And I think he can, he can, he can actually take up that spot quite well. I think that's a perfect replacement for Mikkel Valgren, right? Yeah, and he doesn't have... Does he have a big win on the Palmares? Um, no, Honore doesn't. He doesn't. He, I thought he won a Giro stage when Cherney let him win. But that wasn't him, I don't think, then. Um, yeah, just the Basque Country stage. So maybe he doesn't have the uh, the biggest you know, biggest salary either. Otherwise, coming in in terms of a smaller rider is Stefan de Bod. And you might be thinking, who is Stefan de Bod? Um, he is <laughs> a South African on... Uh, Astana currently, he has been a bit of a journeyman. He was on the Quebec Conti team, then Dimension Data, then they folded, so then Astana for two years. So listen, he's been on two of the um, worst teams in terms of rider performance for the last part of his career. He's only 26, and maybe they heard me joking over and over and over again that Stefan Debord is literally the same person at 24, 25 years old as Chris Froome was at 24, 25, literally the same <laughs> height, weight, age, Palmares, profile, middling TT rider. So maybe they're going to, he'll turn into Chris Froome 2.0. Um, <laughs> it's possible. He's fourth in CBU tour. He got some okay results. Fourth yep. in CBU tour. I mean, is it okay results? So this is the kind of rider they sign Benji like, okay, say, say they do improve him from Astana. Like, is it worth the sweat, you know, compared to getting a, a 22-year-old? I think so, because Stefan Bot is not a rider that has achieved much in, like, results on top-level cycling. So his salary is going to be relatively low. And as a consequence, I do believe that from the climbing that he has on his Palmares and from the stuff I saw in races, that kind of, like, that climbing where you can keep the same wattage for X amount of time, that, for me, shouts that he can also be a competent domestique for riders. And I don't know where in the train or where in the domestique duties he would fit, but I think it could be like the, the mid-domestique. Not a late domestique, not an early domestique, but like mid. I think that's where a, a Stefan de Bod would fit in my eyes. So you're saying Stefan de Bod is mid. I kind of agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that's fine. And listen, he <laughs> internationalizes the team. They want to have as many, you know, rainbow as many countries as possible. Andre Amador and Jefferson Cepeda. Cepeda already joined the team uh, when they when Howes left in August. Yeah. Uh, but those two come in the package with Richard Carapaz. Cepeda is uh, Ecuadorian friend for Carapaz. He is C-Tech, even Sosa. He is not good. So yep, The invisible man from the Giro, remember? Yeah, like he's fifty. He's fifty three kegs. Like, what are you gonna do? Um, I'm sure he's gonna do like a three minute pull in the Giro now. Pill, but I told you know you're an idiot. But no. Um, so uh, Amador again, it's fine. And Carapaz is the big one. We've been dancing around it. He is the big one, and I think we've explained it before. He's the Uran replacement. He's immediately someone who will be probably the favorite for a podium in any Grand Tour he does maybe Tour de France accepted depending on the contenders. So that puts them, because Uran wasn't that. Uran, they were hoping for a top 10, um, which he was struggling to do. 
and Carapaz puts them right back into podium contention. He also wins races. Lucky, you know, he knows how to win a race, this guy. I think it's a good signing as long as the sponsors were happy, which I think they were, Benji, because they gave them extra money. Yep, I think so as well. I think Carapaz is a good signing. Top 10 in World Tour races is something. Top 5s in World Tour GCs, I would argue he can get relatively doably throughout the season. And I think he's their podium bid for the Tour de France, which is a, a thing that is useful in a year where the Tour de France is so specific parkour-wise, where there's limited time trial capabilities necessary and decent amount of climbing still. So I think Carapaz is good for this, this uh, race, definitely. But I do want to add when it comes to like the, the other riders they signed, Amador and, uh, and Cepeda, for example, the reason that we talk about is being some kind of like package thing is that it wouldn't surprise me if, for because of the fact that Carapaz, Cepeda, and Amador are all from the same rider agent, which is Aquadro, that behind the scenes there might be something where they're like, okay, if you take Carapaz, uh, also take Amador or something. Like that kind of stuff. It's always possible, you know? So I... um. I feel like that's something we we can notice also when it comes to Movistar transfers, the future of potentially Rodriguez joining that team and Guerrero now going to that team. Perhaps Guerrero is also part of that, you know. So I don't know, pure speculation, but that's how I how I guess this kind of stuff is happening as well within cycling. So Richard Carapaz, I think it's a good signing. I think it's worth the signing, depending He's the on best how much on the market, right? Yeah, There's depending no on how on much the they paid. <laughs> How much do you think Carapaz is being paid? As in, like, his salary? Two mil? Three to 3.5. It's a lot, eh? For a rider that can't win the Tour de France and, diffi- and has a difficulty winning the Giro and the Vuelta? Yep. But, <laughs> no, but listen, it is a lot. I would pay, it depends on motivation. Like, how old is he? That's the key. Because like he's he's only he's twenty nine. He turns thirty in May. Yeah, you got him through twenty twenty five, where he'll be thirty two. When did Uran fall off a cliff? He's thirty five now. So Uran he never was, fell off a cliff, my man. My he man. was still Come pretty on. good when he was thirty. Um, he just wanted to vault a stage. <laughs> yeah, when Uran was thirty, when second in tour. Yeah. So, like. I mean, they're not the same. <laughs> Just because they're South American doesn't mean they're the same rider. But, you know, that, that's probably the, the logic is, okay, GC rider, he's still, and he, he'd still won like four world stages plus KOM, Carapaz. Um, motivation, it's impossible to know. Um, will he if, he, if he stays motivated, which I'm assuming he does, I think three or 3.5 is better for Carapaz than giving one to 1.2 for Ruben Guerrero. Yeah, I think he's more likely to score over three extra points, get the headline results, um, and Carapaz can really form the backbone of those points. Which means in twenty twenty five, they don't have to be doing a mad scramble for points. They can just focus on what they want to focus on. And yes, yeah. So I, I think it's good um, because who else are they going to get? So next year, because they need to, who on their roster could they develop into that guy? For no the one. next three years. No one? When it comes to GC, no one. Like, Ikarfi isn't doing it, in my opinion. Uh, Uran's n- r- slowly falling off his cliff. Like, he's walking down his cliff. Um, <laughs> Padun's not. Not happening. No. What do you think and about it- Padun, by the way? Like, because we were relatively high expectations on Padun. If they used him properly. Did they use him properly? I mean... I think so. Like he went to the world tour in good shape. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. He just got engaged. Maybe that'll help next year. Um, <laughs> Marriage bumps you up, eh? That's my working. No, it's my working theory. That <laughs> I've, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but not for sprinters, right? Or also, because um, for sprinters they get more scared, or is that when they get a baby? No, it's when they have a kid. Okay. So when sprinters have a kid, then. <laughs> The results will go down, and um, serious. So, but if a rider enters a de facto relationship, a pro, it can't just be in the dating stage; it must be de facto or marriage. Um, significant performance boost. <laughs> like I actually believe this hundred percent. I think it's facts. <laughs> it does. I've like charted it. 
<laughs> it makes such a big difference. Uh, I've seen it here. Like you've seen the guys come to Andorra and they're just on their own. Like they can't look. They and then all of a sudden they're in a normal relationship, having to be normal and <laughs> flying. Anyway, that's my that's my working theory. So maybe for doing that will help. But yeah, I don't know. Um, He'll probably win a stage of something next year, but GC, no. So, And who is even available in 24-25? Like, Rodriguez, they're not getting. Yeah. Um, who else is even on the market that's a GC guy? And Rodriguez is not even as good as Carapaz. Uran at 2024. <laughs> yeah, so Uran, yeah. Philippe, I don't know, not, not, no. Simon Yates? Yeah, and he's had the doping suspension which I don't know if EF's like – because some teams, I don't think yeah. Ineos would take him because of that, even though yeah. it was, you know, like a technical – it was like a TUE administrative error, but because it was technically an anti-doping suspension, I don't mm-hmm. think Ineos can take him. I'm not sure if that would apply to EF as well. But, yeah, like is Simon Yates more likely to be a GC contender than Carapaz? Absolutely not. So, yeah. Uh, Mate, that's why they could have gotten Lopez and Quintana. Well, actually <laughs> – let me have a look now. <laughs> every um, time, every single many, episode. Uh, what? No, that's the thing. Why have they got? Why are they fully stocked? Surely they can boot. Who can they boot for? Boot Camargo for? Quintana. No, 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 no. Diego wanted this Camargo. Get out of here. He's a god. He was. I swear, I saw him do so. So they have. They have a lot of riders not performing. Like, honestly, it's. Mate, yeah. Owen Sean Quinn was good, actually. I like Owen Sean Gould. Quinn. Yeah. yeah. What about no offense, Owen, but... What about him? Just boot him. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they just... Like, they just got a lot of riders who just don't move the needle. Like, Scully, Rooch, um, Kukler. Now, Kukler did a good lead-out last year. Wisniewski, they've got a lot of old riders, but... haven't they? The thing with Roach back in the day was that we could at least meme him. I feel like we haven't seen him in 2022, which is yeah. so sad. Um, they gave Carr an extension, two-year extension. Iking, I think, was sick with, like, maybe COVID. Um, and the problem also is, this is why I, I always love to pick up riders from this team, um, <laughs> is they send their, their young guys to the harder schedule. Like Marin Vandenberg was better than Arno Dali. I know he's older, but he was better than him in 2021 on the U23 circuit. Um, and then they send him to like exclusively world tour races, including some which aren't even classic style. Um, like what's he going to do? So Marin Vandenberg, when is his contract up? I would be having a look at that guy for 2024 okay. if I was quick step. But when I look at this team, I have the same worries that I had in previous years when it comes to the team. When you look at like the sprinting opportunities, the 1.1 race, the one pro race and so forth, Marin Vandenberg, for example, but also the likes of a court. Vandenberg is not being sent to those races in the first place, and court is not good at those races. So would they have been well off if they signed, for example, a David Decker or something, this team? Would that have fit in the team, or do you think that would be a a step backwards for Decker because he wouldn't have gotten great support that he have in the first place? Uh, I'm not not sure David Decker's even that good. Um, I'd rather have Marin Vandenberg. If you can have a Dutch classics prospect, I'd rather have Vandenberg. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what RK are offered. Like Steinhauser as well, a very young climber. Uh, did he have any good results in World Tour? He had a tough year, I think. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the team. But for next year, Benji, what are the main goals? What is like, we're in the EF, we're in, uh, we're in uh, I don't know, where they have their retreat. Where would they have their <laughs> retreat? Some Girona retreat. Um, yeah, Girona probably. Whiteboard session, goals for 2023. What's the first thing being written down? I wonder how early they do this thing because, like, they announce their riders for races very late. They announce everything very late. Maybe they announce their goals for the riders very late as well, like the day before the race starts. They're like, "Come on, guys, let's try and get a good result here." But no, no. The best thing is, <laughs> the best thing is, 
like whenever they get called out on that because it's so and like I don't buy into it anymore. We used to when we did Grand Tour previews, we'd wait, and now we just do the preview when we're ready to do it to make sure it gets done in time, and we just pretend EF don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, and other media, I see other media do it too because like I'm not going to speculate on who you're sending, so you don't exist. So congrats, because <laughs> like of course they know who they're sending, they just think they're being. Like funny, and the same with like Vorders was being like, haha, Lakeep thought Shabbos was out of contract. Gotcha, he's signed for another two years. It's like, okay, like no one really gives a fuck. <laughs> like, just tell people when you sign him how long he's signed for. Um, he did the same thing with, I don't know, some other writers. Like, you're, you're really overthinking this. People really don't care that much. Um, but yeah, I think they're probably doing it in the next month or so. Um, Carapaz, Tour de France, podium. Has That's, to be goal yeah. A. I agree. That's goal A as well. And the thing that I have difficulties for is when I think about Carapaz, I'm like, yes, goal A, Tour de France, podium bid. I think he's a rider that is capable of fighting for that podium in a Grand Tour. 100%. He's done it before in 2021 with Vingegaard taking the second spot and then Pogacar taking the first spot. So he, he can do this, getting that third spot. But the issue for me is, Let's look at the team for a second. Who the hell completes that team? Because we can think about all the the South American surroundings for him, like a Caicedo and so forth, uh, a Cepeda, a Nuran. Like, are these the domestiques, or do you think I'd rather yeah. have Simon Carr? No, 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 no. Simon Carr to a Giro. It'll Carapaz will want his span of phones around him. Um, so it will be, uh, I don't know about Chavez, but I think Uran should be there as a domestique. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus, yeah, it'll be, um, Come on, go. yeah, it'll, it'll be some of those guys. Amador, Amador for sure. Even though like he couldn't pull the skin off at custard, um, <laughs> uphill anymore, but he will be probably there at the tour. Uh, Betty old. He might do Giro. I don't know. You're right, Benji. But then again, he just has to follow, right? Yeah. I'd send to, I'd send Padun to the tour, actually. I think Padun, uh with that sort of uh, it depends on the hot conditions. Um but yeah, Carapaz Honore even could be all right. Um Roots usually does the tour. Uh but yeah, Carapaz and don't really know who else Magnus will be around him. Is yeah, there a yeah, stage true. like is there a stage like the Megev one once again? Isn't there like, is Mont Blanc too hard? Which one? The Saint Gervais Mont Blanc. Um, the one where it's not really a big climb. It's like eight k, six percent. After two k, it's ten percent. That's so probably too hard, right? I or reckon no. it's too hard. Um, they have to ride it pretty easy. I don't know, actually. Could he win? I completely forgot the parkour already. <laughs> but then it's, I, I can't really remember the breakaway stages. Um, the one that looked like Foie with three hills. Yeah. Six kilometers, six percent. Could he win could he win the Tourmalay stage? Because <laughs> if the could. break does Tormolo really passively, and then they basically because imagine the best climber in the break, 60 kilo guy. He, he's not going to attack on Tormolo with no teammates ahead unless he has teammates in the group. And so it's everyone, he'll just get caught in the descent of the valley. And so and it's a group of 20 coming into the base of that 16k, 5% climb. I reckon he could win that. I think it's possible. I don't know how he's going to do at the top of the Tourmalet and so forth, but I do remember, for example, a Mont du Chat stage in 2017. Um, okay, that's not the stage I was thinking of. I swear there's a stage where there was a mountain and Volgren stayed with or dropped from the breakaway on the climb and then came back in the descent to win at the end. That kind of stuff I think is possible on the Tourmalet stage, but I think the Tourmalet stage might be a, a slightly bit too hard for that strategy. I don't know. It's going to be really close whether he can do that or not. I think, I think it's going to be dependent on how fast the race is before the climb, what happens in the peloton during that race. I don't know. It's yeah. That's probably one of the more difficult ones to make it happen. But I think there's definitely races where he can something of and if a breakaway stage goes on that Iswar stage where you have like hilly park all over and then a flat finish then there's an option for that 
I think stage 12 of the Tour de France to Belleville on Beaujolais is definitely one where I'd argue he can do something because that's like five kilometers, six percent, five kilometers, six percent, five kilometers, seven percent. And then it's flat to the finish line for like 25 kilometers. So that's a breakaway stage. I think there's a lot of those potential stages there. And So Palace will do two then. I forgot about him. Because he, he and Court paired in breakaways would be very effective on those sort of stages. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And I think it's much better for him to be a domestique for Carapaz on certain days and then hunt stages. I think that's probably more realistic than him focusing on a top 10 GC himself. For the Giro, pretty straightforward. It's going to be Carthy uh, and Carr because we have the long, big climbs. Carthy's probably best performance in is on those long climbs. If you remember the Cortina D'Ampezzo stage in the snow in 2021. God, it feels long on that ago. Um <laughs> He's good on those wet, cold conditions. Um, and I remember talking to him about that stage. Um, <laughs> um, and he was like, he was like, it wasn't even that cold. It wasn't even that bad. I was like, bruh, <laughs> it's snowing. So he'll be hoping for like um, really, really cold conditions on one of those big mountain stages. I think his TT actually, if you remember, his final TT in Verona was quite good. He came 11th. Um, in that TT ahead of Afini and Kamner and, and Co. So I think for a top five will be his target for the Giro and then they'll send nah. You don't think your top five? I believe it, I think it's his goal, but I don't think he can achieve it. Mate, who's coming fifth? I don't know, but I think there's a lot of riders that can beat a Garfi these days. Especially with the time trial kilometers. We're thinking about Remco or Thomas going there, so that's one and two already. And we've mentioned quite a few riders that will go to the Giro as well, perhaps. Like with Bora, are they going to send everybody to the Tour de France? If they send Hindley or, or Vlasov to the Giro, then I'd argue they'd probably get a higher spot than Garfi. And I think we can find a few riders to put above Garfi at the Giro. Yeah, I reckon fifth is possible. Maybe unlikely, probably more like seventh, but fifth is possible. Yeah, um, seventh. He finished, finished the Giro pretty strong. The yeah, he'll be paired with Carr and Piccolo will probably go for stages as well. And you reckon Bissiger's going for TTs? I would argue so. Like when we think about Bissiger, the time trials are what comes to mind. He usually also does some of the cobble classics. So I don't know if that combines very well, but you can't go to the Tour de France if you're Bissiger, I think. So I see Giro, Tour de Suisse, those kind of races for him, then World Championships, time trial. And towards the end of the season, I've got no clue what he's riding. Clone Nation or something. <laughs> yeah, so that's him. Um, he'll probably do Roubaix as well with their cobble squad, which is Honoré, Betiol, Kuklera, the Vandenbergs. Um, not the strongest. The Hill Classics is quite good, though, with Paulus, Piccolo, Betiol. I begin to see Iken come back because um, mm-hmm. he was very good at Intermarche before he signed. And Healy. So they'll be hoping to sneak some results in an, an Amstel, a San Sebastian again, where they seem to go okay uh, every year. But yeah, the focus is on Tour de France with Carapaz. Um, do you see them winning a one week with Carapaz? Uh, yeah, I think it's possible. Maybe it's, yeah, uh, it's difficult, eh? But I think you he might do it in the way that Romandy? Because he'll do Swiss or Romandy, right? Has to, ha- has to be Swiss, right? Come on, fuck Romandy. True. Okay, it'll be one of Swiss or Romandy. Whichever one he does, I think he will win it. Because I don't think Pog will do it. He'll do Slovenia. Jonas will do... Jumbo usually do Dauphiné with Roglic Jonas. So, yeah, he'll win one of those two. Okay. I think that's a solid take so far. But when I think about this team, I think there's a... Quite a few options for potentially hot takes. Don't you see, sir? Like, when I think about the team, I'm like, Sean Quinn's going to win a World Tour race. Got third in the first stage of Dauphiné. I don't think it's a hot take to call him a stage winner in World Tour. Is that a hot take? It's not a hot take. No. Okay. He's going to win seven then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Piccolo, you see like uh, a hot take in there. He's going to win like a Hill Classic or a Monument. <laughs> Piccolo win Liège and Lombardia. 
Piccolo yeah. is so good, dude. Like, imagine <laughs> now. He's think about him a year ago. Think about how different his off season is going to be now. Maybe the EF off season. Yeah. We spoke for ten minutes about how they can't get their riders to do eighty percent of their FTP for ten minutes in spring. But I think his off season is going to be better. One would think now yeah. than it was last year. Um, he should only improve at his age. So Piccolo, very very high on. Um, so yeah, I, I even think there's going to be a, maybe a problem where riders like Honoré and Paulus they're going to be not riding for Piccolo when he really is the strongest. Um, we almost saw that yep. in Maryland a little bit. Uh, so Japan was the opposite. Uh, Paulus won, but yeah, Piccolo I think will he will win a monument. <laughs> it's a hot take, that's for sure. That's what this segment is for, I think. I um I was not sure about calling a monument for for because I think winning a, a Wilter Classic would already have been a hot take. Liège, I think, is the one more than Lombardia. I think Liège can win. I think it's possible, but there's so much big competition. I think we're looking at a. A podium candidate slash a top five candidate is what I'm looking at. Getting a top five in those races would already be a big step up for him. I know it's a hot take section, so I need to say something completely outrageous <laughs> that will never happen. But uh, I... Um, when I really think about it, is Andrea Piccolo a better one-day racer than Tadej Pogacar? If you really think about it, like... We're going down re- this route again. <laughs> reverse their roles, reverse their teams and preparations... You know, makes you think. <laughs> Strada, he should be good. I reckon he's going to score fifteen hundred UCR points. Does does he have more chance of winning a a world tour race than Wout van Aert? Piccolo. <laughs> no, what the <laughs> what? <laughs> van Aert's going to win like seven minimum. <laughs> this guy. No, yeah. I think. I agree that Wout van Aert has a much bigger chance to win Walter races, by the way. But um, that being said, I, I feel like Honoré there's a lot of riders. Nothing. I think Honoré, he'll regret leaving Quickstep. I think so as well. I think he will regret leaving Quickstep as well. We might see him a few times in Cobra races, but he won't get anywhere because he's going to have to react to a lot of things and he won't be able to do that alone. So that's why I don't see him doing that much. I think Betiol will remain winless the entire season. Yeah, is it? Yeah, okay. I'll allow it. It depends on where he's sent. Um, to be honest, he did the same in twenty twenty two, so it's not a hard thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's out of contract at the end of that. At the end of the year, oh, he'll be pretty. I don't know good. he's kind of expensive, right? Like, yeah, he's strong. He does well in big races, but doesn't win very much. He's what the, the monument on his Palmares, and someone's going to pay. And actually. So, I'd let him go if I was them if he doesn't turn into a prolific winner. I'll switch it up. I think that Betiol will not do bad this year. I think he will do great this year. I think he'll win a, a Cobble Classic. Which one? Has to like like Dwar's Door? Are we counting Dwar's Door? Or Dwar's Door, something like that. I'll allow it. Um the reasoning that I have behind it, he's probably not gonna win because he doesn't have the finishing. Like, fuck, this is so difficult. I think a podium is possible, but I think he's going to do better this year because he needs to do so in a contract year to get a good salary next year. And riders do better in contract years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Padun wins two World Tour races and a Grand Tour stage. Um, I think he backs up his 2021 Dauphiné performance. I think he... um, Yeah, I think Padun literally ruins some of the best GC riders in the world from the GC group on a mountaintop finish next year um, and just cooks them. And maybe even, nah, GC is not consistent enough. But I think, yeah, Purun still underrated. Um, very inconsistent, but I think he does <laughs> a crazy performance next year uh, once again. And I think Jefferson Cepeda scores... Under 50 UCI points, which is really hard to do. Like, really, really hard. Especially if you're, like, 25th in GC. It's almost impossible. <laughs> but I think that's what happens. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
that's yeah. But my main ones is Piccolo. I'm really hot, hot on him. I I mean I would like to say as we end this preview, I am very happy that they and Bex didn't get relegated. I was rooting for both of them, um, mainly because they provide a bit of diversity in terms of the base of World Tour teams, not being yep. from um, three or four European countries. And so, and they have a lot of different riders EF on the roster from a lot of different countries. So I was very, very happy they stayed up and hopefully they, Carapaz does perform, even if he doesn't podium the tour. You know, fourth still gives you a shitload of points. Hopefully they remain safe. I don't think this team's getting relegated next. I don't know, Benji. If they go back to their old ways and all these riders, I mean, half their roster could do absolutely nothing. In fact, 75% 75% of their roster might do absolutely nothing. They could be in trouble again for relegation. If they don't if they don't sort of do a few of the dot pro races, which they should for Piccolo, for Vandenberg. I think it's a combination. I think they I think this is one of the teams where I do trust their future more because of Carapaz. I think he will gain a lot of points in this first season. And as a consequence, they will have the safety of Carapaz there. Unless he gets injured or something, you got to keep that in mind. But I do believe that, for example, Iweglia, uh, Trevale Varesine, those Italian classics, Coppa Sabatini, Agostoni, whatever, whatever all those Italian races are, that's where you send the Piccolo to, and he will get points there. So I think that's very valuable to do so still. I think you might even send an honore to those Spanish races, like in April or March, I, I forgot when those Spanish races are like. Oh, like GP in the rain and yeah. Starquita de Ghecho and exactly, yeah, he, he should do all of them. Exactly, kind of, kind of like how Valgren did um, last year in 2022, and then we 2021, and then we started hyping up for the World Championships as a consequence. So I think that's an option. I think could Honore step up and be decent at the World Championships in Glasgow. Yeah, sure. I mean, why not? They, who's who's the Danish team is pretty strong, but yeah, it could be. I mean, this team, their riders always perform at World Championships. Uh, Paulus Volgren in last year. Yeah. Uh, I think Piccolo even can be quite good at World Championships. It's before the Vuelta, so those guys coming out of the Giro. I mean, yeah, they should have their whole team peak for World Champs as usual. Um, but yeah, hopefully they just stay on top of the points so it doesn't become a mad dash in uh, 2025, which seems like a long time away, but easier to get the points next year, uh, in my opinion. We'll see. Um, if they go to Japan Cup again, we'll know they're kind of taking it seriously. But that's all on EF Education Easy Post. Um, a lot of riders we're fans of. Hopefully they all, some of them improve, and we're very interested to see how the Carapaz signing pans out um back in the ring throwing their hat back in the ring for grand tour gc success thanks to zwift as always for supporting the show and we'll see you with bex in the next one ciao mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 